Live from our nation's capital, it's the Inside Scoop with Mark Levine. in America. Welcome to the Inside Scoop. I am your host, Mark Levine, reporting live a safe social distance from Washington, D.C., and watching the Keystone coup, uh, the attempt by, the, um, by Trump personally and his goons or the few people that are left supporting him, people like Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon, um, trying to steal this election and colossally failing. And it's a weird moment. You ever get that day where things happen to you and it's a bad day and then it gets worse and then it gets worse and then you think to yourself, okay, well, nothing worse can possibly happen today and then it gets worse and then you start laughing when you should be crying? Hi, welcome 2020. This year is like that day. And don't get me wrong, we are facing colossally bad things happening as 250,000 Americans, a quarter of a million Americans, have now already died due to the coronavirus. I remember on this show, back when it was all beginning, when Donald Trump predicted we could have 100,000 to 240,000 Americans die of COVID. And I remember what I said in those days when maybe two or 3,000 Americans had died. I said, look, he's giving you an extreme range. He's giving you an extreme range just so when only 50,000 Americans die, he'll declare himself a hero because he got under the 100 to 240,000 range. And I scoffed at it. And to be fair to my prediction, uh, South Korea also got their first COVID case the same day we did back in January of 2020. And they have about 500 deaths now. We have more than that number in North Dakota, which doesn't have a million people in it, unlike South Korea, which has a population of about 70 million or so. Yeah, 250,000 Americans dead needlessly. Maybe two or 3,000 would have died with a competent president. That's true but not 250,000 Americans. We are getting 1,600 dead a day. That's more and worse than September 11th every single two days. So yeah, it's kind of hard to laugh when you hear that. And yet, and yet, the best of times, the worst of times, a vaccine is around the corner. And it is. Pfizer and Moderna have both prepared vaccines. The rollout will probably begin next month in December. It'll probably take through the spring, March or April before uh, most of us get vaccinated. So that's really good news. And if we had a merely competent president, a president of minimum competence, what would he do after graciously conceding the race the way Hillary Clinton did to the man who beat him, Joe Biden, on a really historic victory. After all, Biden didn't just beat him, he beat him substantially. 
He beat him by a greater margin than Obama beat Romney in 2012. And of course, six million votes difference. Hillary only beat him by three million votes, pushing on 80 million. A competent president would have, after graciously conceding, taken a victory lap, talked about the vaccine, talked about how they helped, he helped the vaccine occur. Of course, a good president would have encouraged us all to wear masks months ago and would be talking about the two or 3,000 Americans that died and not the two or 300,000 Americans that will have died. I fear it may reach 400,000 before this president finally gets pulled out of the White House kicking and screaming and grabbing things. And yet, and yet he doesn't do that, right? He could have gone out on a high note, no, no, he's going as low, as low as he possibly can. And if there's ever any doubt about the fact that not just Trump, but the Republicans hate democracy and truly detest a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. There can be no question it happened this week. And I'm going to get to all the details, the glorious details, the foolish details, in all these cases this hour. Maybe you'll think of one that I haven't, and I encourage you to join in at 888-488-MARK, 888-488-6275. But before I get there, I want to be clear. There's something to have joy about. Because even as the president has declared war on our democracy, and even as 90% of the nation's Republicans are following him off that cliff, attacking the United States of America, arguing that democracy was not good, trying to throw away legally cast votes, trying to blame uh, the loss on everything and anything and fraud and dead people and everything other than the fact that their candidate is, of course, an incompetent, lying corrupt, narcissistic con man. There's reason for joy in the midst of despair. And not just because come January 20th, we're going to have a new president. But because I can have faith in my country again. You can have faith in your country again. I guess a determined effort to overturn our democratic freedoms to ruin our democratic republic, to give up democracy entirely, to jettison the rule of law. And it's a determined effort, and we're going to get to all the details. The system held. The flag was burning, but it still stands. Oh, say, can you see? By the dawn's early light. <laughs> The flag is still standing. The country is still standing. And, you know, it's scary because it shows how if you had a determined, corrupt, anti-democratic wannabe tyrant who was a little bit smarter than Donald Trump, well, virtually everyone is, maybe they could have taken down our democracy. I argued before the election that it's critical that Biden get enough votes to get beyond the margin of cheating. Remember that? And he did. The Biden-Harris ticket got so many votes, they were beyond the margin of cheating. And even though it saddens me to know that 
there is a margin that's close enough that parties can cheat and win an election that they did not win. We learned that in the Bush v. Gore race. It's nice to know that at some point, if enough Americans vote, we can get beyond the margin of cheating. And we did. And so as I watch the flailing in courts all across the nation, as I watch the Trumpists try to steal an election, as I watch the lawyers quit one after the other, as I watch the Trump embarrassments one after the other, as I watch Rudy Giuliani go beyond the destruction of his credibility into the destruction of any humanity he ever had, I laugh. I'm heartened. Because even though more people are going to die due to these president's shenanigans, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We can't change Donald Trump. We can change America back after this. Oh, wait. Nope. I got two more minutes. Excuse me. <laughs> I followed the wrong clock. Um, yeah, so let's go through some of the things that um, Donald Trump and his minions have tried to do. And then we'll go through each one. They claimed there were no observers in Pennsylvania. False. They claimed that machines couldn't read Sharpies. False. They claimed that dead people were voting. False. They claimed that the machinery changed the votes. False. They claimed that there were 238 pages of, of bad stuff that went on. And the only thing that they could document was that some poll workers gave some of those observers mean looks. That's probably true. They tried to prevent Nevada military people from voting. They tried to disenfranchise black voters in Philadelphia and Milwaukee and Detroit. They tried to not certify the elections in Detroit. That switched. They, Lindsey Graham gave a call to the Georgia, the Republican Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and says, hey, you know, can you pitch all these legally cast votes, like tens of thousands of them? Can you just throw all those away, you know, in the counties that favored Biden and was turned in? Meanwhile, the president played more golf than at any time in his presidency. Remember, he's played twice as much in his four years than Obama did in eight. He's got nothing to do. He doesn't want to attend a coronavirus task force. He doesn't want to attend enough security briefing. All he wants to do, like a whiny little child, is to complain. Yeah, there's some dark humor in that. We'll get to more when I come back. Back after this. Never, con never confuse Mark Levine with right-winger Mark Levin. The second E stands for empathy, which the other Mark lacks. Welcome back to the Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. I, it's a weird thing to take pleasure in. I admit it. It's, it's some schadenfreude, right? Do you know that word? A, a word, I guess, that could only be in German. A word that means to take pleasure out of other people's pain. But when someone is trying to overturn the United States of America, trying a treasonous coup, and ends up acting like the Keystone Cops, well, it's amusing. And so I'm going to take a little pleasure in their failed pain. I, I do not take any pleasure in the deaths from COVID-19. States all across the United States are starting to close down as well they should. 
as we reach peaks that no one in the world has ever reached before. 250,000 Americans dead, probably another 100,000 before the end of the year. They think 50,000 may die in the next few weeks. And the way to stop it in the short term, obviously, is not congregating, wear a mask, social distancing. You know all this. Um, Republicans are often resisting that. But in the medium term, it's to get this vaccine out there, to get it transmitted. And Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have a plan. They are ready to to send vaccines out there all across America. And the people in the Trump administration, the few competent people that are left, want to do a handoff like a relay race. You know the relay race works. You pass the baton. You don't run up to the line and then hand someone the baton and then they start running. No, a good transition. You move in parallel for a while. But the Trump administration will not disclose anything to the Biden administration because a lowly functionary by the name of Emily Murphy, the director of the General Services Administration, won't declare that Biden won, even though certainly Obama did it when Trump won. She won't do it, and it doesn't matter how many Americans will die. She doesn't care. It'd be interesting if someone in her family dies, if she might start to care about the American people, but she doesn't. Maybe, maybe when the votes are certified, she will act. Who knows? But Dr. Fauci is warning us, right? He's telling us we're in trouble. We're in big trouble. The, the, folk, the guy who's not telling us we're in trouble, of course, is the person in charge of the task force right now, which is not Fauci. It's a guy named Scott Atlas, who doesn't even have a degree in uh, immunology. And he's arguing that people should not wear masks. And the only way this stops, he tweeted, quote unquote, is if people rise up. Nice. Nice. When the government is trying to save lives by asking people to wear masks, Scott Atlas is telling them to rise up. Now, later on, he denied he meant violence. But what does it mean when people rise up and refuse to save lives? I mean, even if he didn't mean people should take their arms and do what they did in Michigan and try to overturn the government, even if he only meant rise up, refuse to wear a mask, infect your neighbor and have your neighbor die, does it really matter whether you shoot your neighbor or infect your neighbor until they die? It's still an innocent person dying and it's your fault. And it's particularly your fault if you're in the Trump administration and encouraging people to kill. But, but it's funny, damn it. It's funny. Because as they try to steal the election, as yes, they're not transitioning correctly, yes, we may be in danger militarily, uh, because the Biden is not getting the presidential daily briefing. You know who still gets it? Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. She's on the Senate Intelligence Committee. So the Trump administration 
is briefing the vice president-elect, but not the president-elect. That's nice. That helps. Meanwhile, the president is firing everybody. Everybody that's not loyal to him. Just fire them right, left, and center. You know the guy who's doing the most of firing? His name is Johnny McEntee. He's 30 years old. Think about that. He's 30 years old. Not that there's anything wrong with being really young. But he is going and firing secretaries of defense, firing the lead cyber uh, protection units, firing people right and left, asking people to sign loyalty oaths. And when they don't, they're out of there. The most serious, of course, is Chris Krebs. Chris Krebs is a very brave man. Chris Krebs did terrific work, even though we all know that Russia intervened in our last election for Donald Trump, it was Chris Krebs' job to keep our election secure. And he did. He said, and he proved, that we had in 2020 the most secure election in American history. And that's something to be proud of. But Mr. Krebs made the unfortunate mistake of telling the American people the truth that we had the most secure election in American history, and telling the American people the truth is grounds for firing in the Trump administration, as is having a free and fair election. There's nothing Trumpists hate more than a free and fair election because they know that the American people solidly reject their leader. So Chris Krebs was fired. I guess that may have been one of the people that Johnny McEntee wanted to fire. Maybe, maybe it was Donald Trump's idea. Not quite sure. Meanwhile, Bill Barr, the attorney general, has been investigating people before the certification. Now, let me, let me go through the details here because it matters. Traditionally, according to the Department of Justice rules, you don't investigate election fraud until after the election is done. As long as the fraud doesn't affect the election, if it does, you can go in and sue you could do the things that Donald Trump's trying to do if he had evidence of it, but, but he doesn't. But you surely don't go and prosecute people. You don't investigate people until you know what they've done. You certify the election. You see who voted for whom. And you don't – because you don't want to intervene in the certification process, right? If people think the election is unfair, they can sue. But if you think there's great fraud being created, you don't prosecute it until a couple months later after the certification is done. That was the rule for decades. You know, Barr went out and tried, presumably because Trump told him to, tried to find evidence of fraud and investigate people. And the guy he ordered to do it, his deputy, the person in charge of the voter protection unit, quit. Because he knew this wasn't about finding fraud. This was about overturning the election. And... Of course, he found nothing, no evidence of fraud. And if you don't believe that there's no evidence of fraud, and, and, and by the way, the polls show that some 70% of Republicans actually believe there was fraud. I guess they watched too much Fox News. I guess they listened to Donald Trump. Well, here's your answer, those of you who think some fraud was being committed. Look at the filings by Trump's own lawyers. In Pennsylvania, they said there was no fraud. In Michigan, they said there was no fraud. No fraud in Wisconsin, Georgia, Nevada, or Arizona. Don't take my word for it. Ask Trump's own lawyers, who know that if they lie to the court, they can lose their bar license. 
We'll get to the specifics right after the break. Call in 888-48-MARK. Back after this. He's a Bible-quoting, Constitution-loving, flag-waving, red-blooded, liberal American. He's Mark Levine. Welcome back to the Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. It was a pretty dramatic victory for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's closing in on 6 million vote margin. Some 80 million Americans voted for Biden and Harris, only 74 million for Donald Trump. And it's quite a margin. 6 million doubles the 3 million margin by which Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump. It is larger than the 5 million vote margin that Obama beat Mitt Romney in 2012. Obama did do a bit better in 2008, but in 2004, Bush beat Kerry by only 3 million votes, the same margin by which Hillary Clinton beat Trump. Al Gore beat George Bush by half a million votes. One thing we should note is that in the last eight elections, dating all the way back to 1992, 28 years now, we've had eight elections. And the Democratic candidate has won seven of the eight elections. I went back in American history. I was curious to see if there was any point in time that any party in history had won seven of eight presidential elections. The answer is just now. You can do the work yourself, right? There were the Federalists, there were the Democratic Republicans, there were the, the, the Democrats, the Jacksonian Democrats, the Whigs, the Republicans. Never, never will you find any party winning seven out of eight elections. Now, it didn't seem that way, of course, because of the Electoral College, our ridiculous, anachronistic system designed to protect slaveholders, whereby it doesn't matter who wins the election— you got to win certain states in certain amounts, and people's votes count more than other people's votes. If you live in California, you're only one quarter as good as someone from Wyoming, et cetera, et cetera. It's a messed up system. It's one we should change. And by the way, as a Virginia state delegate, I am a state representative. I am working to change it in Virginia. Wherever you live, call your state legislator and ask if your state has joined the National Popular Vote Compact. Uh, we have states totaling 196 electoral votes. They're already there. California's there. New York's there. Um, some 15 other states. But ask your state to join so we can finally get rid of the electoral college system. But it was a dramatic victory. I want you to imagine, just for a second, take yourself to that dark place. Imagine that Donald Trump had won the election by 6 million votes, twice the margin by which Hillary Clinton beat him. It's a 4% margin, by the way, the same margin uh, that Obama beat Romney, 51-47. It looks like it's growing as they're counting California's votes. It's a substantial win. It's not a landslide, but a substantial, solid victory. Do you know how many times Donald Trump would be crowing about it? I'm really glad that didn't happen. But as I said, it is a solid victory and one that the Biden-Harris ticket has every reason to be to be crowing about. This is what they're trying to overturn. Now, Bush and Gore, that was close enough to steal an election. You were down to a few hundred votes in Florida. If you heard me before, 
I've talked at length exactly how the Republicans stole that election, basically using a Supreme Court to order Florida to stop the counts. And so using that as a model, Trump decided before he even ran, before election day, that he was going to go in and use all his lawyers and all to basically go to the Supreme Court. That's why he rushed to get Amy Coney Barrett on the court. And in Donald Trump's imagination, the way democracy works is you get your friends in high places and then you get whatever you want. And in Donald Trump's defense, that's how he always made it in the past, right? You get your friends in high places to cheat the system and rig it to get whatever you want. It's the Republican way. But Biden-Harris won beyond the margin of cheating. And that's critical. It wasn't one state. The only way to overturn this election would be to find enough mistakes in at least three states. And the margins are not in the hundreds. The margins are in the tens of thousands. And you just can't do it, folks. You just can't do it. Chris Krebs was right. We do have the most secure system in American history. So Donald Trump did what he always does. He just made out a bunch of BS and sold it to Fox News, who uncritically told it to Americans who believe it. They believe it. And that's really scary. So let's go through briefly, because they're a large number. All, well, I don't know if we'll get to all of them. Most of the lies they told. We'll just go state by state, right? So in Nevada, they said, aha, a bunch of people who don't live in Nevada were casting ballots. Who were those horrible people in Nevada that were casting ballots? Because there were a bunch of people that no longer lived in Nevada who were casting ballots. That's true. Who were they? They were members of the U.S. military serving abroad, places like Afghanistan, Germany, and South Korea. Nevada residents who left and aren't there at the moment. That's legal under federal law and Nevada law and really a slap in the face of the military. So that suit got dismissed. In Wisconsin, they're doing a recount. Doing a recount only in the two largest counties that delivered the, the state for Joe Biden, Milwaukee and Madison, the counties that have the most black votes. Let's put a pin in that because that ain't going anywhere. And let's go on to Michigan, where they tr Michigan, it wasn't even close. Biden won by 150,000 votes. But they tried to throw out the votes just of Wayne County, which includes Detroit, a black majority city. In fact, the Republicans there who originally denied the certification said, you can certify all the other counties, just not the one with all those black Democrats in it. They didn't use those words. Just not Wayne County. You know what happened, of course. In Michigan, there are four certifiers, two Democrats, two Republicans. And what do they do? They look at the ballots and they say, hey, we're certifying. Um, we're just going to go forward and, and add them all up. Never been an issue before. But this year, the two Republicans said, nope, we're not certified. Trump went crazy. Oh, my God, we're going to flip Michigan. We're going to get the Michigan legislature to, come, legislature to come in and throw away all those black votes, all those Democratic votes, and impose its will 
on Michigan, on the American people. Now, Michigan is one of those gerrymandered states that would easily have a Democratic majority. Its governor is, is a Democrat, if it were not for the fact that Republicans have manipulated the district lines to ensure their power. There's nothing Republicans like more than giving minorities white minorities, people who lose elections, more power than those who win elections. They know that if the majority of the American people, the majority of Michigan, were allowed a fair and equal vote, they would lose. And so rather than change their policies to appeal to more people to get an electoral majority, they're just going to do what Georgia has traditionally done. Jim Crow laws keep the blacks from voting. Well, what happened in Michigan is these two Republicans refused to certify the ballots. They said that that's because, you know, there's some discrepancies. There are always some discrepancies uh, between the number of voters. Like, let's say a, a vote jams in a machine and you fix that on a recount. And that's why recounts find hundreds of votes, sometimes thousands. They never find 148,000 votes. And frankly, there were more mishaps in the Michigan primaries, and this same team didn't refuse to certify then. They refused to certify. And for three hours, the Michigan certifiers heard from the Michigan public. After the break, we're going to play for you some of the harsh invective that they faced. People were angry. Think about it. Tens of thousands of Michigan vote counters had worked day in, day out, all night long, working 16-hour days, counting hundreds of thousands of ballots. Maybe it was just thousands, not tens of thousands. Counting hundreds of thousands of ballots. And their work was going to be thrown away. These two Republicans were willing to just throw out the votes. Well, they felt the pressure. They changed their minds. They decided, we'll just get an audit of the ballots, but we'll go ahead and certify. Donald Trump tried to change their mind back. It's just come out in the Washington Post today that Donald Trump, the president of the United States, personally called one what? of these Michigan certifiers, yeah, in Wayne County in Detroit, tried to prod her to change her mind. She now does want to change her mind, but it's too late. She's already signed the certification. But the one thing that's consistent in Michigan and Wisconsin and Georgia is that they're doing their best to keep black folks from voting. I mean, it's always worked in the past. Jim Crow laws worked in the past. Literacy tests and poll taxes like the ones they put in in Florida and in Georgia where they removed 100,000 blacks in the voting rolls. But it's failing, my friends. We were upholding our democracy this time. I'll give you more detail when we get back. He's a Harvard economist and a Yale lawyer. He does not keep up with the Kardashians. He's Mark Levine. Welcome back to the Inside Scoop. I'm your host, Mark Levine. So prior to the break, we we're telling you about the two Republican canvassers in Michigan who decided that even though the uh, in the Michigan primary, a few numbers were off by a tiny amount, and they certified that one anyway. They were not going to certify this one, even though they knew it wouldn't overturn the tiny, you know, mistakes, single-digit type mistakes wouldn't overturn anything. They weren't going to do it. They would be fine with other counties letting it go. They'd be fine to certify other counties, but not 
Wayne County, the county in Michigan that includes Detroit, the county with the largest percentage of black population in Michigan, the county that won the election for Joe Biden. Well, when they decided not to do this really ministerial, tiny task, they were given hell by the public. And perhaps the tweet that went the most viral is the one you're about to see right now. This is Ned Stabler. Uh, he is the president, uh, CEO of TechTown, vice president for economic development for Wayne State Republicans. Listen to what he had to say when he heard the Republicans were refusing to certify the vote for Joe Biden. Um, we also know that the Secretary of State and the Attorney General have already uh, tweeted out that your legal arguments are rubbish and you're going to lose in, when it comes to court. So we're not worried about that uh, at all. I'm also not worried about any of your, oh, things are, are bad so we can't certify arguments because that's just ridiculous. You certified in August when they were worse, less than 50% of the ballots were recountable. Now over 72% are. Uh, 58% of them were even balanced when it was less than 30% last time. So it's doubled. It's gotten way better because the Secretary of State actually jumped in and did her job, unlike you. But I know it's not going to change your opinion. Um, you talked about not certifying Detroit, even though you acknowledged that Livonia, a city, by the way, I know you know is 95% white, had bigger variances than Detroit, which is 80% black. We understand, and you now added your name. So I, I'm not gonna try to change your mind. I just wanna let you know that the Trump stick, the stain of racism that you, William Hartman and Monica Palmer have just covered yourself in is going to follow you throughout history. Your grandchildren are going to think of you like Bull Connor or George Wallace. Monica Palmer and William Hartman will forever be known in southeastern Michigan as two racists who did something so unprecedented that they disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of black voters in the city of Detroit because they were ordered to. Probably, I know, Monica, you think Q told you to do it or some other crazy stuff like that. But just know when you try to sleep tonight that millions of people around the world now on Twitter know the name Monica Palmer and William Hartman as two people completely racist and without an understanding of what integrity means or a shred of human decency. You, the law isn't on your side. History won't be on your side. Your conscience will not be on your side. And Lord knows when you go to meet your maker, your soul is going to be very, very warm. That's Ned Stagler. <laughs> Giving them hell. Literally, I think he gave them hell. And, um, they changed their minds. By the way, Ned, it wasn't Q that told them to, to act in a racist way and throw away lawful votes. It was Donald Trump. They both admitted they got a call from the president asking them to do that. But people like Ned stepped up. Let that be a reminder for our democracy. When you see something like that happen, step up. They did change their minds. The other claims made throughout the nation they're the claim that there were no observers in Pennsylvania until the Trump lawyers had to admit, yeah, there were observers there the whole time. Just a lie. There was Sharpie Gate, the claim, I think, in Arizona that maybe the ballots, the machines couldn't read Sharpies. Just not true. They read them just fine. Pennsylvania, Donald Trump having no evidence, they went and said, hey, if you saw anything wrong, write it up. Sign an affidavit. 
and Kelly McEnany, who, by the way, is the press secretary and isn't supposed to be working as a campaign official. That's a violation of the Hatch Act. You can't use your official position to advocate for a political cause. But yeah, it's a minor thing. Anyway, Kelly McEnany holding up 234-page exhibit. Look at all these things, pieces of paper. But those damn reporters, they read her 234-page submission. And what was in it? Well, a lot of people who didn't understand how the vote counting works, why are they putting them in these machines? Why are they checking the ballots for signatures? Normal stuff. But apparently several people said that election officials were giving them mean looks. Mean looks. Throw away hundreds of thousands of Pennsylvania ballots because you got a mean look. Then there was Tucker Carlson claiming all these dead people voted. CNN, by the way, took a list of the 50 people that Tucker and, and other Republicans said were the dead people who voted. Found out that 37 of them were dead but didn't vote. Eight of them were alive and didn't vote. And five of them were alive and did vote. One of those people alive that voted is Mrs. James Blaylock, 96-year-old Agnes Blaylock has been voting under the name Mrs. James Blaylock ever since she's been married for some 50 years. And Mr. James Blaylock had died, but she was signed in as Mrs. James Blaylock and she cast her vote. All perfectly legal. Sorry, Tucker. And the other dead person that he claimed voted didn't vote. There's claims that the machinery changed votes in Georgia. Dominion, it's obscure. The machinery's doing that. I myself have trouble with machine counts. So Georgia did a complete hand count. Every single ballot in Georgia recounted. That's pretty good for Republican Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who was asked by the virtually all Republicans in Georgia, including the two candidates for the United States Senate, to resign because he wouldn't throw away legally cast votes the way Lindsey Graham wanted them to. And they found there were some clerical errors, no machine errors. But for example, there was one tape that wasn't counted in Floyd County, Georgia, a Republican county where the Republican leaders there didn't add a tape. So that's what the audit's for. And it added, it added several hundred votes for Donald Trump. All told, the hand count showed 1,300 more votes for Donald Trump. Pretty good, Donald, except that you're behind by 14,000. So that's not going to work. And meanwhile, Trump is pushing his lawyers to say things that are untrue, and they're quitting, right and left. The vast majority of his lawyers have quit, because lawyers know if you tell a lie to a court, you will lose your bar license. You can also be held in contempt and go to jail. So Rudy Giuliani's taking it over, right? Good old Rudy. He wants 20000 a day for doing it. And he's not doing very well. He's kind of being made to look like a fool. He's confusing the Four Seasons Hotel with Four Seasons Total Landscaping, an alley next to a porn shop and a crematorium with help from good guys like Steve Bannon, who um, should be in jail pretty soon. Interestingly, the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, has said that one of the reasons why Republicans lost Georgia is because 
Donald Trump was encouraging people not to do mail-in ballots. He said that, that Trump actually suppressed his own voting base because 24,000 Republican voters cast ballots by mail in the June primary, but didn't vote at all in November. Biden won the state by 13,000 votes. So what's the point of all these lies? What's it all about? I mean, it's not like the president wants to be president. He's taking no meetings for the past two weeks. For 11 days, he did absolutely nothing but play golf. What's it all about? He's, he's failing in the courts, laughably so. The Keystone Cops, uh, I don't know if you know who they are. Uh, that's a silent movie from 100 years ago of cops running around and bumping into each other, kind of used to be to, to show examples of, of uh, complete incompetence by officials. Well, this is the Keystone coup, right? Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania's the Keystone state. And they tried a Keystone coup and they failed miserably. Donald Trump knows he can't win in the courts. He can't possibly win in the courts. The goal is not to win in the courts. The goal is to cause Republicans to be angry, to cause them to falsely believe that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president in the hopes that they can win the two seats on the ballot in Georgia, the two Senate seats that will determine the balance of power in the United States Senate in January, and just basically to salt the earth and make sure that Biden can't possibly compromise and bring this country together. That's why the vast majority of Republican United States senators and House members, they privately tell Democrats congratulations, but publicly they claim fraud that they know does not exist. It's not there. So I have a message to Republicans who are trashing our democracy, who don't believe the votes are fairly counted, who think we're riddled with vote fraud. It's a very simple message. If you don't believe democracy works, don't vote. If you think the system is fraudulent, don't vote. Stay home next election, and those of us who believe in democracy will vote. This is Mark Levine signing off. <laughs>